Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is September the 8th, 2023, Friday night. Here I am. There you are. And I thank you for joining me. Uh, Boy, the world uh, continues to twist and turn upside down and inside out. Um, And now we are approaching, in just three days, the 22nd anniversary of the terror attacks of September 11th, 2001. And I want you to think about this. 22 years ago, 22 years ago, the attacks took place, which means that there are now adult Americans who were born after the attacks. And many of them, if they've not been taught about the attacks in school, which is probably likely they weren't, I think many college kids, high school kids, know about more about Pearl Harbor than 9-11, If their parents fell down on the job and didn't teach them about 9-11, they know very little, if anything. And in fact, a year ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, I was preparing to go on a radio show. The producer of the program was a young man of around 20, 21 years of age. And we started to talk about 9-11. And he said, you know, Mr. Cutler, I was only a year old when it happened. I don't know anything about 9-11. I said, can you tell me about December 7th, 1941, he said, oh, absolutely, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, and they sank our ships, and he went on. I said, so so let me understand this. You weren't born before Pearl Harbor was attacked by Japan. But I said, you know a lot about that, relatively speaking, and know nothing about 9-11 when America was attacked on the mainland, on the mainland, and For the record, more people died on 9-11 than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, and the death count continues. And, in fact, the fire department just added more names to the memorial for the first responders, the firefighters, who died as a consequence of their exposure to the toxins when the towers collapsed. But I said, you don't know anything about it. Well, I remember something about airplanes hitting buildings. I said, and then what? That's pretty much it, Mr. Cutler. I'm sorry. I said, so airplanes hit buildings, and that's all you know. He said, pretty much. I I know it was a bad day, and and I wanted to cry or scream or or, or do something. How in the world can we defend our country when our own citizens are clueless about the risks that we face? And immigration has been one of those issues that crooked politicians give the redundancy Crooked politicians, crooked bankers, you know, it's, it's hard to not refer to that as, you know, whatever. Um, I've been lying and misleading the American people, and for the most part, the American people are gullible, foolish, stupid. They've got to wake up. There's nothing racist about America's immigration laws. And one of the tricks the other side does, well, there were Chinese exclusion laws. There were. A hundred years ago, what does that have to do with now? 
if you go to Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182, it enumerates the categories of aliens who are to be kept out of the country. Read it. Please take the time. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. There is no word about race, religion, ethnicity, nothing. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Ellis Island was the quarantine station. Look what's going on with COVID. By the way, we're back to COVID and masking, and we're importing thousands of kids into American schools who've not been vaccinated for anything, not just COVID, anything. But we're going to have to wear masks, and they want to impose all kinds of restrictions, They, especially the lunatics in the, in the leftist cities. And I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These people aren't Democrats. Okay? So the first order of business is to protect Americans from dangerous communicable diseases and aliens who suffer severe, severe mental illness, sex offenders, violent individuals, sociopaths, and so, and so on, to a criminal terrorist human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, human traffickers, drug smugglers. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge, which means that we would have to pay for their maintenance. And then finally, aliens who, if they worked, would displace American workers and lawful immigrant workers and drive down their wages. This was about simply stated protecting the lives of Americans the jobs of Americans, and national security. And yet, Dick Durbin said, oh, don't blame Biden for what's going on. The immigration laws have been broken for 30 years. We need to fix them. We keep hearing it. The immigration system is broken. Well, what, what do you mean it's broken? How is it broken? Well, we've got all these illegal aliens. So, yeah, why is that? If you had lots of drunk drivers plowing people down on the highway and mowing down children and crosswalks, You'd say, okay, what are we going to do to enforce the law to take the drunk drivers off the road? That's what you'd say. You wouldn't say the drunk driving law is broken. You would simply say, what do we need to do to protect people from people who shouldn't be driving? It's common sense. People are here illegally. Then you need to go after them so that they understand that violations of our immigration laws are taken seriously and they face consequences for violating the laws. If you get a letter from the IRS, how happy are you? Probably not happy. And years ago when I was on with Neil Cavuto, Neil said to me, and this has to be 15 years ago, he said, Mike, when will you be happy that the immigration laws of the United States are being adequately enforced? And I hadn't thought that I was going to be asked that question. Usually you have some idea where this interview is going to go. And then on the spur of the moment, I had a brain spasm. And I said, you know, Neil, I'll be satisfied that we're doing a good enough job when an alien who receives correspondence from DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, reacts with the same level of concern that you or I would react to a letter or other correspondence from the Internal Revenue Service. And Neil was was amazed. He said, wow, that's brilliant. I, I, I would never have thought of that. What a perfect answer. The trick is that you create laws, and then you have to create an enforcement mechanism to make certain that people follow the law, otherwise the law is meaningless. The laws of nature are immutable. That's why I was always a science guy, had things turned out differently. I planned to be an engineer, two of my kids are engineers. What I love about the laws of nature is they are immutable. The speed of light is not determined by a traffic cop with a radar gun in a summons book. The laws of nature are immutable. They are what they are. They're not subject to 
to, you know, random nonsense. Human laws, legislated laws without enforcement become meaningless. And that was the whole point to the immigration system, because the immigration system has morphed into, as I keep on saying, a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And believe me, there's no compassion and exploitation. It's not just the illegals. It's aliens with high-tech visas. We've educated some of our worst enemies. In fact, Dianne Feinstein, back in 1998, and I I worked with her people quite closely after 9-11, by the way. But at that hearing about Iran and terrorists in the United States, she talked about this fact that maybe we should end the visa waiver program. Maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. And perhaps we should not be giving training in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, to those aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism because we're teaching our enemies how to kill us. And she cited example after example after example of terrorists who were either trained in the United States or Europe who went on to carry out terror attacks and killed Americans and, and, and our allies. And nobody fainted. And this was 1998. This was four years before 9-11. And she was completely right. Of course, now with the diaspora of all these aliens from those terror-sponsoring countries, they have now scattered themselves across the globe, and we still have the visa waiver program. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. It's both political parties that have done this to placate the Chamber of Commerce, because this is all about taking down borders, which they see as an impediment to their wealth, even though our borders and all of them, not just the southern border, any method of entry into our country is a vulnerability that can be exploited by people who want to kill us. It's very simple. You know, I've worked with a speaker's bureau in D.C., and I've had the privilege of standing in front of a room filled with Air Force brass generals, colonels, um, senior uh, civilian members of the Air Force, even astronauts and test pilots. And I made an analogy or made a point, and nobody's ever disagreed. I said, you know, the shared common mission of all branches of the U.S. military, the shared common mission is to keep the enemies of America as far from our shores as possible. I've never had pushback. No one's ever said, oh, Mr. Cutler, that's crazy. No, they said, well, of course, that's the mission. Right, keep our enemy away from us. Right, common sense. Up close and in person, guess who gets that assignment? It's the Coast Guard, it's the men and women of the Border Patrol, and it's ICE. And it's ICE. And it was very clear to the 9-11 Commission that there is a clear nexus between border security and national security. And the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel was written by the federal agents and the attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. And it focused entirely on the ability of terrorists, not just on 9-11, but in the decade leading up to 9-11, to travel freely around the world, gain entry into the United States, and embed themselves in our country as they went about their preparations for deadly attacks. And here's Durbin defending Biden and the damage that he's done, I would argue it's irreparable damage, seven, eight, who knows how many millions of people here now. We don't know who the hell they are. And on 9-11, it just took 19 terrorists to kill more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. And what does Durbin say? The immigration system has been broken. Don't blame Biden. He's doing the best he can with limited resources. The best he can to do what? Invite the entire world to come to the United States, irrespective of whether or not they pose a threat? Are you crazy? And there are people that will nod their head and say, yeah, that sounds fair. 
That sounds fair. Why not? If you're concerned about the environment, about the economy, immigration is a key issue because every person who comes into this country, and I don't care where they are from, require water and food and housing and electricity and all sorts of things, health care, transportation. They use our infrastructure. If you overwhelm the system, you will destroy the country. I wrote an article a while back for Front Page Magazine, and, and what I said was that the efforts to foist comprehensive immigration reform on us should not only be called the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, the point that I made gosh, almost 20 years ago, and then Senator Jeff Sessions quoted my article for the Washington Times uh, from the floor of the Senate on three separate days during the floor debates about comprehensive immigration reform. Because he agreed. The idea of giving people lawful status without the ability to even interview them, let alone do a field investigation, would undermine our national security and public safety. But I suggested that we add a new subtitle to Comprehensive Immigration Reform or any similar program. We need to call it the Overwhelm America Act, and we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed. So here we are three days short of the anniversary of 9-11 with millions of aliens in our country whose identities are unknown to us. They're floating around the country. We keep hearing about how Terrorists have been entering the country. Talk about people on the terror watch list who've been captured. God knows who didn't get captured. And most terrorists aren't on any terror watch list, by the way. Sleeper agents do everything they can to stay under the radar so that you don't know who in the world they are. And sanctuary cities enable bad guys, fugitives, terrorists, cartel members to embed themselves, hide in plain sight driver's licenses and all these documents the 9-11 commission said were the way that they were able to move around the country freely without attracting attention in the aggregate the 19 hijackers had more than 360 identity documents some legitimate some not legitimate in, in their names and other names identity documents are the lifeblood along with money for the terrorists they need to be able to rent cars Almost every terror attack since 9-11 has involved motor vehicles. No airplanes, motor vehicles. Bombings and mowing people down. And it's not just the United States, it's throughout the world. It's Europe, it's France, it's Germany. Motor vehicles are the weapon of choice. It delivers the terrorists to the site they're going to attack. Motor vehicles enable them to conduct surveillance. Motor vehicles deliver bombs. The 93 bombing of the Trade Center involved uh, two illegal aliens who rented a, a truck and then drove the truck with the bomb, parked it in the garage, set it off, and, and over a 1,000 people were injured, six people were killed, and more than a half billion dollars in damages were inflicted on the once iconic structure known as the World Trade Center, and they almost brought it down sideways, and the speculation was that could have killed hundreds of thousands, ruptured the seawall, letting in the Hudson River, and perhaps permanently rendering lower Manhattan uninhabitable, including the financial district. We caught something of a break that day. Incredible. A month earlier, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi bought into a courier van service, had a permit to park at the CIA parking garage or the parking lot, and in January of 93 drove in with not a package, but an AK-47, jumped out, opened fire, killed two, three CIA officers, wounded several others, fled the country. He was brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but the dead remained dead. 
How many more times do we have to have terrorists use motor vehicles to kill innocent people, and you have sanctuary cities and sanctuary states saying, oh, we'll give these people municipal ID. We'll give them driver's licenses. We'll erect barriers against car bombs and truck bombs that we don't care who's behind the wheel of the vehicle. And if you live in a relatively sane state where your governor says, oh, I'm not going to give illegal aliens driver's licenses, you're not off the hook. You're not out of the woods because anybody with a driver's license from any state can travel to any other state in the United States, rent a car, and carry out an attack. All it takes is one state doing this, and yet when President Trump went after sanctuary cities, they went after him. They went after him. Now, I don't always agree with Donald Trump's policies, but my goodness, you would think common sense dictates that if you're the commander-in-chief of our armed forces, your primary responsibility is national security, followed by public safety. Is that a difficult concept to grasp? It blows my mind. Blows my mind. And now you've got Mayor Eric Adams in New York, who's a former police captain for the NYPD, and for years when he was in the city council and elsewhere, sanctuary policies, we've got to take care of the immigrants. They're not immigrants. This nonsense about gaming the language straight out of the pages of George Orwell started with Jimmy Carter. We're not going to call aliens aliens. Terrible term. All it means legally is any person is not an American citizen. Any person not a citizen or national of the United States is an alien. That's the law. Other countries use the same definition. It is universal. It is international law. You're either a citizen or you're not. If you're not a citizen, you're an alien. In Mexico, they use the term extranjero, which means alien. Where's the insult? There's no insult, but there's clarity. And when you're a con artist and you want to swindle people, you make use of artful language to screw people over. Screw people over. The hell with the death count. Screw people over because there's money and power to be had. Think about it. And I've mentioned it before. I have to mention it again. And maybe the thing to do is for you folks to call up Fox News and say, you duped us once. Don't do it again. My dad used to say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay? It took them 90 minutes in the first presidential debate to get to immigration. 90 minutes. An ongoing invasion of our country. There's no other way to describe it, which violates Title Four. Uh, I'm sorry, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution that says the states are to be protected against invasion. This is an invasion. And now Eric Adams is suddenly awakened and he says, oh, my God, what they're doing is going to destroy New York City. Just New York? No, it's going to destroy the country. We have a sanctuary country with a president, a commander-in-chief, who is an alien, a human trafficker-in-chief. Tens of thousands of minor children from other countries lost in America. We have no clue where they are, if they're being exploited for sexual purposes, if they're being exploited by being worked to death in factories. We have no clue, but this is the morality that we're supposed to expect from our leadership. How many pictures of those cages that we see when President Trump was in office and the cages had been built by Obama? Where are the pictures now of all those aliens that are being held in inhumane conditions thanks to Mr. Biden and then being flooded into the United States? This is impacting everything. There was a study done by the Congressional Budget Office that said it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English. New York now has thousands of kids who can't speak, read, or write English. 
being enrolled in our schools because the law says that you have to be in school. They have no vaccination records. They could have any disease possible, polio, tetanus, diphtheria, measles, COVID. We don't know. And diseases are springing up around the country uh, like we've never seen before, even leprosy in Florida. So while they're telling us, wear masks, COVID's coming, we're flooding our schools with kids from the third world, and the third world encompasses the entire planet, which means even the tropics where you get some really strange and vicious diseases. And they're sitting in classrooms next to American children right now. And if you complain about it, you are a xenophobe. Maybe you're a domestic terrorist. God only knows. Do you not have the right to send your child to school confident that the environment might not kill your child or make your child terribly ill and have a permanent impact? I won't even get into this whole sex nonsense, which is total lunacy, but this is about driving a wedge between parents and their children. I was the PA president of my daughter's public school. My goal was to get every possible parent involved with the education of their own children. Because kids do best when their parents support their efforts, when they encourage them and guide them and give them love and give them discipline. You know, it's the yin and yang, right? And today, if you go to a school board meeting, the FBI might come visit you. While we have thousands and thousands of terrorists floating around the country and they don't have the resources to go after them, but I promise you, go to a school board meeting and and one of those FBI agents may come knocking on your door. I sound like I'm pissed off, you betcha. You're damn right I am, and you should be too. There was a wonderful radio talk show host out of uh, Los Angeles many years ago, Terry Anderson. Uh, He passed away so many years ago. He was this big black guy who wore coveralls. He was a riot. He was a force to be reckoned with. And he used to start a show in a booming voice of his saying, if you ain't mad, you ain't paying attention. Rest in peace, Terry, you're right. If you ain't mad, you ain't paying attention. I had the privilege of being on a show a bunch of times. We shared the microphone at meetings around the country. It was an honor. If you ain't mad, you ain't paying attention. Yesterday, I was watching a a, a segment of a multi-part series called The Road to 9-11. The Road to 9-11. And a lot of what was focused on was how the CIA did not provide information to the FBI and opportunities were lost, and they went on and on and on, and how an ambassador uh, screwed things up and, and, and prevented colleague Sheikh Mohammed from being taken into custody, KSM. KSM, for those of you not familiar, is now sitting in Cuba in Guantanamo. He and Osama bin Laden were the architects of 9-11, KSM. If you remember that image of him uh, with his woolly hair and he had something of a mustache, now he's got a beard down to his navel. KSM. And I had forgotten something. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm standing in front of a fire hydrant trying to capture all the water. KSM actually came to the United States. Well, let me read to you how Wikipedia put it. it, and, And they made mention of this, by the way, in the program. It's a worthwhile program. But I also want you to notice that with all the talk about the CIA and the FBI, and they didn't share information, and they showed visas and passports. Guess who was never interviewed for the entire damn program? Nobody from immigration. Immigration had no idea that these people were to be kept out of the country. 
immigration is that dirty word you're never allowed to say it because if you realize the role that immigration has in all of this, people would demand for once and for all a goddamn secure border and effective but fair immigration law enforcement to do what? To do what? Protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. But then Dick Durbin would have to give back the money to those people who I suspect are telling him to go out there and say, we don't need no stinking borders. You're not allowed to talk about immigration. Uh-uh-uh. Immigration, according to the 9-11 Commission, was the key issue that allowed multiple terrorist attacks to take place inside the United States. And if you watch the documentary, you see how a couple of agents from the FBI were chasing, and there was also a New York City cop who worked with them, chasing these characters all over the world. They were crossing multiple borders, multiple documents, fake ID. Right? Crossing borders, folks, is the realm of, guess what? Immigration. That's what the realm of immigration is, international travel. But we dare not say it. This is the cash cow of cash cows. This is how we destroy middle-class wages. This is how we provide an unlimited supply of clients for immigration law firms on both sides of the aisle. This is how we provide clients for these so-called nonprofits. Is that not laughable? These NGOs, non-government organizations that are feeding and clothing and housing these people, they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars, but we call them nonprofits. I want to know what a profitable outfit would look like, huh? KSM was the key player. Without KSM, 9-11 would not have happened according to this program and according to other materials that I've read over the years. So what's his background? So let me read this to you from Wikipedia. Sit down, fasten your seatbelt. According to U.S. federal documents in 1982, he, that is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, had heard about Abdul Rasul Sayul's speech in which a call to jihad against the Soviets was declared. The United States, by the way, helped the Afghanis defeat the Soviets in Afghanistan. We helped, them, we helped push them out by providing them with weapons. If you want to see a really good movie, entertaining, and I've spoken to people who knew the congressmen and all the major players, they said that they really got it right. It's called Charlie Wilson's War. The United States stepped in and said, this is immoral. People are being slaughtered by the damn Soviet communists. We're going to help defend them. You think they can now? No, not at all. Not at all now. So let me continue on. At age 16, he, KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, joined the Muslim Brotherhood after graduating from high school in 1983. Mohammed traveled to the United States and enrolled in Chowan University in Murfreesburg, North Carolina, he later transferred to North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University and received a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering in 1986. Think about that. Think about that. Huh. We educated these people in our country. And I remember doing some research for some articles I'd written previously for Front Page Magazine. And they intercepted communications. And they were laughing at America. They said, these idiots are teaching us how to make bombs and weapons. Wow. So they had a nickname for our American universities. They called them Jihad University. 
And you have people saying, oh, if only we brought people to America that disagree with us, we'll win them over. We'll see how fabulous it is in America. Of course, that's before Joe Biden trashed the whole damn country. Trashed the whole country. You know, about 10 years ago, I was in the back of a limo heading into one of the TV studios, and the driver asked me if I'd seen the presidential debate that night. This was years ago. And I said, yeah. I said, why? He said, what did you think? I said, I don't know. What did you think? He said, well, I came here, and I believe he came from Pakistan or India. I forget which country. But the point was, he said, if I had known when I left my country 10 years ago what America would turn into, I never would have come here. Your country's worse than my country. America is now more of a third world country than my home country is. And that was 10 years ago. I bet you this guy moved home. Who in the world are we supposed to attract to come to America, the world's best and brightest? Are you serious? You know, I, I watched the movie about how um, the radical Islamists want to take down America, and I'm watching Joe Biden, and you've got to wonder if he isn't working in cahoots with him. Just a thought. You've got to wonder who he might be getting money from. Again, these are only allegations, but usually when people get that kind of money, there's a real big payoff for the people writing the checks. Well, they don't write the checks, just like the campaign contributors. These are bribes. Could be extortion. Could be blackmail. Freely into America, killing tens of thousands of Americans, hundreds of thousands of Americans. You have the Democrat Party in many cities showing people, giving them leaflets about how to use dangerous, illegal drugs safely. Really? That's helping? There's been articles about how young men, especially smoking marijuana, because it's far more potent today than it's ever been, wind up with, with psychotic issues. You look at all these mass shootings. When I was a kid, and I'm in my 70s, many of my neighbors were World War II vets. They all had guns in their house. We didn't have mass shootings. My neighbor across the street was a bomber pilot during the Second World War. His basement was festooned with all these certificates for his achievements. Two doors down was another neighbor who was a tank commander at Battle of the Bulge. They didn't talk about their guns, but I knew they had them. How many mass shootings were there in the 50s, 60s, maybe even the beginning of the 70s? Never. What happened? What changed? We have movies that glamorize mass killing. We have video games that could be simulators for combat soldiers. We have people using drugs, which distorts their judgment. And we wonder why we're in trouble. And we wonder why we're in trouble. And and I'm watching all of this decay, and I'm watching how this guy was educated in America and, as a consequence, attacked us. Diane Feinstein talked about how the guy that was involved with the 93 bombing of the Trade Center had gotten a job as a mechanical or chemical engineer, rather, at Allied Chemical, which gave him access to the materials to make the bomb used in the explosion. She said, we've got to stop this. Of course, she was of clearer thought back then than today, but she was right, and nobody argued, and nobody said, oh, my God, you're a xenophobe, you're a hater. They said, no, we've we've got to do this. I was called by Sheila Jackson Lee for not one but two hearings after the attacks of 9-11. Everybody was pretty much on the same page. With, by the way, the exception of George Bush. It was the Republicans primarily who would call upon me to go to Washington and testify at a hearing to provide a counterpoint to the incredible damage Bush did when he created the Department of Homeland Surrender. They were never supposed to mix immigration in with customs or any other agency. They were never supposed to divide 
Immigration Interior Enforcement from Border Security. It was supposed to be a seamless operation with only immigration, period, full stop, no other agencies. John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee at a hearing in 2005, made the point that everybody knew that the reason 9-11 happened wasn't because of failures to enforce customs or agricultural law, but because of failures to enforce immigration law. And he said that the way DHS was put together violated the enabling legislation, the Homeland Security Act, made it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the immigration laws, or protect the American people. Republican, chairman, House Immigration Subcommittee, Jim Sensenbrenner, at the time chairman of the House Judiciary, stood shoulder to shoulder with him. Lamar Smith, Republican from Texas, the same deal. Everybody looked at Bush and said, what the hell are you doing? I remember at one hearing when and Jackson Lee was all over him. You know, the Congress gave him enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents. He cut it to 143. They gave him enough money for uh, 2,000 new Border Patrol agents that year, and for the next four years he cut that to 210. They gave him enough money to secure 8,000 detention beds, and he cut that to just over 1,700. And I remember Lamar Smith, who was quite articulate, saying, that to watch what the president, meaning George W. Bush, Republican, what George W. Bush had done was to offer to bring two candles to a blackout instead of one. This was not a partisan issue. American lives are on the line and people are dying. But it seems like in this day and age, everything depends on which side of the aisle, the political aisle. There's nothing about morality, nothing about governance, nothing about securing America. It's about playing the political game because you have twisted, sick people in positions of authority. I look at Nancy Pelosi. To me, she's the embodiment of evil. And again, I remind you, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Those of you who remember that first night of COVID when everything shut down, people were scrambling to try to get food for their children. And then they worried what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, how are we going to feed our kids. And there's nothing worse than for a parent to not be certain that they will have food for their children. I'll go without food for five days as long as my child can eat. That's what parents do if they're, if they're for real. And people were panicking. And Pelosi, the wicked witch of the West, and I'll never forget it, stands in front of her $25,000 monster refrigerator pointing all of her ice cream, designer ice cream. Oh, look at all my ice cream. I'm not worried about anything. I'm going to be having a party. Oh, you're starving? Well, I'm Pelosi. You're not. How do you forget that image? How do you forget that level of evil? You know, it's kind of like someone coming to you and saying, hey, Charlie, I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to make my mortgage payment. I have to pay my daughter's tuition next week. Uh, I'm scared to death. What do I do? And imagine saying to your neighbor, Charlie, hey, don't worry about it. Let me show you my brand-new Corvette with all of the options. Would any of you have the unmitigated gall, the chutzpah, to do that to somebody? Well, Pelosi wouldn't just do it. She would revel in it because then she could say, you see, I'm better than you. No, she's not. Somebody who is better than anybody else in a million years would never do that. My dad would slug me if I had done something like that. Not an ounce of empathy in her body. It's all about Nancy, and she doesn't even care, apparently, what will ultimately happen to her grandchildren and their children. 
trash the country. It doesn't matter because Nancy is large and in charge. And there are many more Nancys out there. Don't care. Certainly don't care about Americans. And that's why I keep saying instead of an America first policy, we need a policy that says Americans first. Because America first means American corporations, banks, insurance companies, car makers who export jobs and import workers. But, you know, it's really funny because one of the arguments that was used against me when I was doing a lot of TV, there was a time I was averaging 20 or more television interviews per month. And I remember shortly after 9-11, before I really started to get invitations to all these, uh, you know, big programs, big. None of them are big programs. It's all nonsense as far as I'm concerned, but okay. I got an invitation from a TV studio in New Jersey. It was in the dead of winter. It was about five degrees outside. The roads were covered in ice. And they said to me, Mr. Cutler, we cannot send you a car. We don't have the budget for that. But if you're willing to drive out here, we'll put you on TV. And after 9-11, I felt the need to get my voice heard more than the need to breathe because I was scared to death it was going to happen again. And we have had terrorist attacks since then. And people have died since then. And we've never been more vulnerable than we are today. I went into the studio, and there was this young lady who was a lawyer, and I was supposed to debate her. And when I explained the need for effective immigration enforcement, and and this was a term I got to hear a lot of after a while. Oh, Mr. Cutler, you are a restrictionist. You're an immigration restrictionist. And it's funny because, and both sides do it. You've got to be mindful of these pat phrases, the sloganism. I said, what does a restrictionist mean? Well, you don't think that everybody has a right to come to America. I said, does everyone have a right to go through the front door of your house? What about people who are criminals? What about terrorists? What about fugitives? What about people with dangerous diseases? What about people that might take the jobs of Americans? Oh, you're just selfish. She said, I I saw in your bio, well, you're first-generation American. I said, well, my mom came here ahead of the Holocaust as a 13-year-old. My dad was born here, but his family came from Russia, Romania. Yeah, I'm first-generation. I'm proud of it. Well, you're one of those who, now that you're here, you want to slam the door in the face of the world. And I said, no, but just as Clint Eastwood said in Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations. A country has to know its limitations. You have billions of people on the planet who live below the poverty line. They all want to come here because anything would be an improvement. There's probably a billion people on the planet right now who have no electricity. How are they going to drive their electric cars, I wonder? Chuckle, chuckle. Okay? And I said to her, We have always been the most generous country where immigration is concerned, but we can't bring in the entire world. Any notion that we could or should is crazy stuff. I said, every place you go has restrictions. You get on the highway, there's a speed limit and so forth. Well, she wasn't buying it. We did the debate. And then she asked me if I'd be kind enough to drive her back to New York City. She lived in Manhattan, didn't have a car. The weather was incredibly terrible, and I said, sure, I'll drive you. But because of the road conditions, it took me two hours to go from the studio in New Jersey to her house in Manhattan. So I thought about it, and I said, gee whiz, I have a captive audience. Here's an opportunity to get her to understand things perhaps a bit differently. And no sooner do we sit down in the car 
And she started in again with how I was a restrictionist. And I said, you know what? Have you ever gone to a bowling alley where there's a sign that's posted by the fire commissioner that says, by notice of the fire commissioner, occupancy by more than 210 people or whatever the magic number is, is unlawful and dangerous. You go to a restaurant, maybe the number's 300. You go to a synagogue or a church, there's a number telling you how many people can safely occupy the building because of concerns about the structure not collapsing and enough space for people to move around, and most importantly, enough exits so that if, God forbid, there's a fire or other tragedy, people can evacuate quickly and safely. I don't know if you folks know this, but when airplanes are certified by the FAA, one of the things the FAA demands is that the airplane can be evacuated. Uh, and I forget if it's a minute and a half or two minutes, but there's a specific number. It's one or the other, two minutes or, or a minute and a half. And they actually take one of the airplanes, they pop open those slides that we see, and the employees of the airline uh, manufacturer slide, it, slide down, it's all filmed on video, and they time them. And if they can't clear that airplane out within the specified time limit, the FAA says we're not certifying the airplane. You can't evacuate quick enough. You have too many people on the plane. Sure. They might say to them, you've got to lower the number by 10 people. Why? There's enough room. Yeah, but you can't get those extra 10 people out if there's a fire. Wow. Well, can we add another exit? Well, do what you got to do. You've got to allow that full number with the way that people get out of that airplane in an emergency. We're restricting that airplane until you fix the problem. And they have to. It's not carved in, it's not, uh, you know, oh, it would be nice. No, you must be able to evacuate the airplane within the specified time or it does not fly, period. That's a restriction. And she looked kind of disturbed. And then I said to her, you think I'm unreasonable. How many people do you think America can absorb? How many people can come here? Because we already admit a million lawful immigrants every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. We already admit tens of millions of temporary visitors every year, more than the rest of the world combined. How many people do you think America should be able to admit and, and, and not have an adverse impact on Americans? I mean, that should be the punchline to all of these conversations, don't you think? And she said, I don't know. I said, 25 million more. Oh, that's easy. 50 million. Ah, not a problem. It's because it's a big country. I said, yeah, but you need more than a hotel room for these people. They need water and food and electricity. You've got to make sure you have enough water. Every person here needs 100 gallons of water per day, right? Because of Joe Biden, we're consuming 7, 8 million, I'm sorry, 7 or 800 million gallons of water a day by people who shouldn't be here, and there's a drought out west, right? So these factors should go in. In fact, I said before they do anything that even comes close to comprehensive reform, perhaps they should do an environmental impact study. I mean, the left is so damn concerned about the environment, why not demand an environmental impact study before we even have a conversation about any significant change in immigration laws or policies? But, of course, the Republicans won't make that demand because they're all in also. Make no mistake, that's why they want to limit you to the southern border. We need more border patrol. No, you need ICE agents, especially to go after the fraud, because we're letting in terrorists and we're educating them so they can kill us. We educated Chinese engineers and programmers so they could 
build their military and threaten us and the rest of the free world and spy on us and everybody else in sight. That's an immigration issue. But you wouldn't know it listening to the Fox News debates, would you? That's why we need to reach out to them and say enough of this crap. Immigration is at the root cause of many of the challenges we face because what we're doing is endangering us. And that's what the 9-11 Commission warned about. Well, anyway, as I continued my conversation with this young lawyer, I said, do you think we could admit a half billion aliens? And she said to me, Mr. Cutler, that's nuts. I said, really? So you don't think that we could admit a half billion? She said, no, that would probably stretch our resources too thin. I said, congratulations. Do you know what you've just become? She said, what? I said, you, young lady, are now an immigration restrictionist. And she looked sick to her stomach. She said, but do you really think that a half billion would come here? I said, if we took down our borders, of course, if you're living in a third world hellhole where you don't have food or water or electricity and your children can't get medical care, could you be more motivated to come here? And she got very quiet and said, gee whiz, I never thought of it from that angle. I said, so now if you agree with me that there is a magic number, we may disagree about what that magic number is as to how many we can actually admit without destroying the country. What mechanism do you plan to put in place when your number is reached, if not my number is reached? And she was totally flummoxed. She said, I, I, I have no idea. I, I never thought of that question. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I said, yes, because you have bought into that lie that America can admit the entire world. Can we? And she said, you know, I'm never going to think of immigration the same way. Now I want you to think about Eric Adams jumping up and down. Oh, my God, they're killing New York City. Of course they are. And there's no end in sight. And he made that point also. There's no end in sight. If Joe Biden wins the next election, we could wind up with 100 million aliens. And then what? Nick Durbin's going to come out and say, now we've got to bring all their families here. So the 100 million becomes 500 million, and we get to that half billion mark. Are you crazy? And if you look at what the 9-11 Commission warned about, what did they warn about? Uh, what they warned about was the failures of immigration to protect America. I'm going to read something. I know I read it last week, but it's worth repeating. And, and please, share this with your friends. This isn't about xenophobia. And, and, you know, at some point, we have to grow a spine. We have to develop chutzpah. We have to learn to stand our ground and say, listen, you're not going to intimidate me with all this stupid, idiotic, childish name-calling. It's not anti-immigrant to say that we shouldn't let people in who want to kill us. It doesn't make you anti-social if you lock your door at night. It just makes you prudent. Right? So the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel focused purely on the ability of the terrorists to travel around the world. And all that we saw in that movie was the CIA and the FBI and how they didn't share intel. Let me tell you, I worked with the FBI on a terrorism case, an IRA terror suspect. And they came to me. They had a file that was as thick as a New York City phone book. Uh, for those of you not familiar with phone books, look it up. Those of you my age, you know what a phone book is. 
and they handed me two heavily redacted pages where maybe I could read three sentences, and they said, this is all you need. Well, I wound up arresting the guy. We charged him with an illegal firearm because he was here illegally. Incredibly, it's the only case I ever lost. Barry Sheck was actually the criminal defense attorney. Um, I was um, gratified, although upset that we actually lost, when he said that I was the worst nightmare he ever had to confront in a courtroom. But the FBI failed to share anything with me, basically other than the guy's name and address. It's everybody playing the game. I have a secret. You don't need to know it, right? It's childish. I spoke to the Israeli National Police many times. I worked with them because back in 1976, I tripped over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery, as you might imagine. I, became, I came to work with them very closely. When they had fugitives in the United States, they would notify me. My partner and I would go out and arrest them. In one case, we arrested a guy wanted for murder in Israel. And we were talking one day over lunch, myself and this police general assigned to the consulate in New York, and we were talking about this whole thing about failure to share information. He said, you know, we don't understand what goes on in your country. I said, why? He said, well, you know, in Israel, we have the military, we have the intelligence services, we have the police. And I think it's once a month. Again, don't hold me to this. That conversation took place perhaps 20 years ago. But he said, we have routine meetings and we sit down in a conference room. It's a secure room. There's no eavesdropping. It's designed to keep bugging out. And it's, it's, you know, kind of like a skiff. And they share information, period. So if somebody from the Israeli National Police asks someone from the military a question, if that military officer has the information but does not share it, they will indict him and put him in jail. It is a felony in Israel to not share intelligence, period. The other agencies aren't your enemy. We're supposed to work together as a team, he told me. He said, what the hell goes on in America? I said, children with little egos being put in charge of federal agencies. He said, it must be because nobody in Israel can understand the nonsense. He said, no wonder you have a problem. Think about that. And he was right. And he was right. But nobody wants to talk about immigration, that these guys violated their immigration status. We could have arrested them on immigration charges. Makes it easy. Put them out of action. Disrupt the plan. Oh, no, we can't talk about immigration because the FBI, oh, we're, we're lodged and in charge. We're the FBI, famous but incompetent, effing bunch of idiots. And the CIA know better, and they talked about how an ambassador refused to do what was necessary and his excuse, well, I had no idea that this was such a serious matter. You had no idea this was a serious matter, a major terrorist operation was being planned, and you couldn't figure it out? You really need to see this documentary in its entirety. But again, keep looking at it and asking yourself, where the hell is immigration in all of this? Because immigration was determined by the 9-11 Commission to be the most pivotal agency. And they're still being shut out. They're still being hamstrung by this administration that doesn't give a rat's tail. That 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel starts out by saying it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Did these people have an IQ of six? 
And then it goes on and says, indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa. They're not talking the Mexican border here, but that's not to say you ignore the border. You look at every place that the bad guys can get in. But they said that even the 19 hi- after the 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. Are you listening, Fox News? We believe for reasons we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. And it goes on and says, by analyzing information available at the time, we identified numerous entry and embedding tactics associated with these earlier attacks in the United States. And they went on to discuss the 93 attack. Entry tactics. Where was immigration in the program about the road to 9-11? When here the 9-11 Commission said that they focused on the tactics they used to enter the country. That, folks, is the realm of immigration law enforcement, a job that I did for 30 years. It was because of an immigration investigation that I uncovered a terror plot in Israel. But we dare not mention immigration. Fox News saw fit to wait 90 minutes into a two-hour debate. My breath away. Rams, the use of the mastermind of the attack in 93, and Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack in spite of being in prison for using an altered passport, immigration charge, boys and girls, traveled under aliases using fraudulent documents. That's immigration. The two of them were found to possess five passports as well as numerous documents supporting their aliases, a Saudi passport showing signs of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought from a Pakistani official, a photo-substituted Swedish passport, a photo-substituted British passport, a Jordanian passport, identification cards, bank records, education records, and medical records. And then they said, once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud, not agriculture fraud, not FBI fraud, immigration fraud. And you have Durbin wanting to legalize everybody with a system that doesn't have the capacity to interview anybody. And that's why I called Comprehensive Immigration Reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Think about that. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. And that's what they're referring to these millions of illegal aliens, asylum applicants. They've overwhelmed the system. There is no system. There's God forbid an attack, who will pay the price? And it goes on. Before I run out of time, there was an article that I just saw that blew my mind, and I just want to make note of this because I've spoken about this so many times before. But what I, I really don't understand is now they are prosecuting parents because they brought fentanyl into their houses and their children, their babies died because they were exposed to the fentanyl. Of course, this is a tragedy and a crime, but you have cities where the officials are teaching people how to use dangerous illegal drugs safely, legalizing pot, doing everything they can to decriminalize drugs, and now we're going to prosecute parents who lose a baby because they've been hooked on drugs, because there's no longer a stigma associated with being a drug addict. It used to be that being a drug addict was the lowest of the low. And now it's like, well, we have open galleries. You can buy drugs. 
next to the hot dog stand. I want to understand how you can prosecute parents and not prosecute the politicians that have facilitated a flood of drugs into this country that is killing tens of thousands of Americans every damn year. So we'll go after the parents once again because they're the problem. Are they? No. The problem are the people we elected to look out for us, and they couldn't care less about us. That's the damn problem. So Associated Press actually reported on it. Actually reported on it. Can you imagine anything dumber than that? That now they're going to go after the parents, but who's prosecuting the politicians that have enabled this flood of narcotics into our country and have twisted things so that people think that somehow this is acceptable? And they're using drunk driving laws, which is fine. I find that interesting because I made the analogy about drunk driving and, you know, people engaging in violence. Why aren't we looking at how many mass shootings are the result of people who are operating firearms under the influence of dangerous drugs that these politicians are telling people are just fine? Honky-dory, go out there and have a good time. But we'll go after the parents. We'll go after the parents. You know, my dad said to me that I would teach people how they should treat me by demonstrating what I'm willing to accept. What have we demonstrated that we as Americans are willing to accept? By the way, the article I'm mentioning was published earlier today by the Associated Press, and the title, As More Children Die from Fentanyl, Some Prosecutors Are Charging Their Parents with Murder. And where is the responsibility from law enforcement for not a interdicting and going after the traffickers in numbers that are sufficient to deter the slaughter of Americans by poison. Explain it to me. Explain it to me because I'm confused. 9-11 is coming up. Keep the victims, their families, and your thoughts and prayers. But let's remember, folks, we're not out of the woods. I fear that there will be future attacks, and how in the world will we make the politicians accountable? police officer uses excessive force, is likely to find himself or herself being prosecuted, losing their job, facing serious consequences, dereliction of duty, all sorts of things. Politicians who facilitate wholesale smuggling of aliens, including gang members and criminals and drugs, another day in the United States for them. It blows me away, but I blame us, we the people, for not standing up and telling them enough is enough. We've had it with them. We are on to them. And this isn't about one party or the other. I don't care if these politicians come from the hopping kangaroo party. It's about politicians who truly understand that they took an oath of office to defend the Constitution and protect we the people. Have a good weekend, everybody. Please remember, democracy is not... The spectator's boy. See you next week.